Today's reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 6. When the crowd found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them the bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning, church. Happy fall. It's the first Sunday of the fall, and it's gross. Um, I feel like my body's really confused because like two days ago it was like 95 degrees, and this morning I woke up and my body like ached. And I think it's just really confused. So yeah, we're in the fall. That's great. Fantastic. Um, We are in uh, the second part of our journey through the book of John. Um, At the beginning of the year, we looked at chapters 1 through 5 of John. We started in January. Um, And through the fall, we're going to do our second section. We're going to cover chapters 6 through 10. And then we're going to finish up with the book, Um, the remaining chapters sometime next year. Um, A quick plug again for the reading guide, which no one asked me to do. It just happens, I just happen to really like it. You should do it. You should do it. Um, You can, the the reading guide, you can get it at the connection table. You can find it on our website on the resources button tab. Um, You can read what we're, the, the scripture that we're preaching on the next week. So you read it leading up to the week that it's preached on. Um, It's just a couple of verses a day. It's not like a whole chapter a day, anything like that. It's literally like just a couple. Um, And then there's a couple of questions that go with the verses just to help you consider it. And so I found it to be really helpful. Um, When we did it the first time, I really um, was sure to make sure that um, they knew that I wanted them to do it again, and so they did. I'm not saying that I did that, but I pushed really hard for it. So Um, so get one and follow along. So yeah, so we're looking at this book, at the the Gospel of John. So the aim of our whole study of this book is to better understand and recognize the writer, John, the writer's purpose, which he clearly states for us in chapter 20, in verse 31. Um, He says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So in the first series in January, we, we unpacked what belief entails. We titled that series, A Story of Belief. And this section, this section of the series, we're looking at what kind of life belief actually leads us into. And so we're calling this one A Story of Life. Last week, if you remember, Justin started chapter 6. 
And we looked at two stories last week. Um, the first one was Jesus feeding a large crowd of likely up to 15,000 people with a child-sized lunch. That was the first story. And then the second story was Jesus walking on the water while the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee on their way to Capernaum. So that's what happened last week. Today, we're going to start in the middle of chapter 6. We're just going to keep on going. We're going to start in verse 22. Um, quick side note, I'm going to be reading from the NRSV version of the Bible, the New Revised Standard Version, um, and that's what will be up on the screens as well. But if you're following along in another version, that's totally fine. <laughs> um, different versions of the Bible, like the NRSV, the NIV, the ESV, the NLT, all those ends because they're always new, um, are, they're, they're different translations of the same text that were originally written in Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament. And so different groups of people have translated these texts in and for different contexts. So some, some of these groups were focused on trying to like um, do a word-for-word -word, um, Greek to English translation. Um, and some groups were focused on capturing the meaning behind the language in English. So that's why there's so many. There's lots of different kind of balances of those. We use the NRSV a lot um, because it's, it's sort of seen as having a good balance between both of those. It, it's a good balance between direct translation and also contextual adjustment in English. So just wanted to let you know that's why there are different versions and why we use the version that we use. But you're free to use whatever version you want. Yeah, so now that that's done, um, we're looking today at verses 22 through 59 of chapter 6. Um, it's a larger chunk of scripture. <laughs> it's like a lot of verses. Um, and there's a lot going on. So we're not going to cover, be able to cover every detail this morning because the sermon would be like two hours long, which I would be fine with, but I think you guys would revolt. Um, so since we're covering a large piece of scripture today, I thought it would be helpful to give you um, the structure of how I want to walk through this passage kind of up front. So we're going to look, as we walk through it today, we're going to look at three themes or ideas um, to help us walk through it and discover how this story is, um, is like John's goal, is, is helping us point to life and how we live that life. So the three themes or ideas are the work we do, the food we eat, and the work God does. So those three things, we're going to walk through it. Okay, so with that structure in mind, let's just start. We're going to start at verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. They also saw that Jesus had not gotten into the same boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Then some boats came from Tiberias, from Tiberias, came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So there is a crowd looking for Jesus, because if you remember last week, Jesus had fed this inordinate amount of people, miraculously, with just a little bit of food. And so the crowd that's looking for him in our story today is comprised of people who had either been fed by him in that group, like they witnessed it, or they had at least heard about it. I feel like that's a thing when there's 15,000 people there, word gets out. Um, so the, the feeding, that, that mass feeding happened in Bethsaida. There's a map, I think, yes. 
So it happened in Bethsaida, which is at like the north top point of the Sea of Galilee. Um, Jesus and his disciples have gone to Capernaum, which is like just next to it at the top, like at 12 o'clock. If that's helpful for you, that's helpful for me. Um, and so, the, so the crowd, they've, they've gone away. The crowd is so eager to find Jesus that the text says that they get in boats that have come from Tiberias, which is at the southwest side of the Sea of Galilee. Like it's not their boats, it's like these boats have just come. And they get on them and travel around the Sea of Galilee looking for Jesus. So they're like working pretty hard to find him. Um, they do find him in Capernaum. And this is the best part. I feel like they try to be really casual about it. Like when they find him, they're like, hey, Rabbi, oh my gosh, when did you get here? You know, <laughs> what's up? Um, but of course, Jesus immediately cuts to the chase um, and just goes right for it and calls them out saying, you're not looking for me because of the signs of life and the miracle I perform, you're actually looking for some more free food. I think that's what's going on here. Um, they're motivated by their stomachs, and like right away, Jesus is pointing out that they're, they're not able to see that God is doing something new right in front of them. Um, and Jesus, he just keeps on going. So Jesus continues in verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it's on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So even in this first part of the conversation, Jesus is going right for the heart matter, which is what Jesus does. But he's challenging the kind of work that these people find valuable. The crowd has been working to look for him. They got on some random boats traveling across the sea. And Jesus doesn't ask why they're doing that. He comes right out and says, oh, you're working so hard because you're hungry again. You are, you've become not satisfied again. I feel like one of the most um, adulting lessons I've learned in the past couple of years is that everything takes work. Like, the worthwhile things and also the non-worthwhile things, everything takes work. And even if you're not the one that's doing the work, somebody is. It's, it's work, like hard work. Um, we all work for something for different reasons. Jesus is making clear here, he's kind of just grouping it all together and saying that the reason that we work is because we're hungry for something. We're looking to satiate something in ourselves. This is why the crowd is looking for Jesus, not because they recognize signs of God's kingdom, but because they saw a potential meal ticket, like a shortcut to the day-in, day-out cycle of having to work for food. I feel like we talk about this all the time um, because, we, because of our context that we live here in D.C., but how here in this city, busyness is worn as a badge of honor, um, like we glorify the hustle, um, we, we value work in this city, any work, because work seems to mean that we want something and it allows us to assign value based on something we can quantify and quantify how much you're working. I think even when it comes to faith, it's a lot easier to just like check off a list. Like I would so much rather like get my faith hustle on and check off my list, like went to church on Sunday, I journaled Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and I prayed, and I read my Bible, like whatever. I, I would so much rather do that than 
actually take the time to figure out why I'm hungry or what I'm hungry for to figure out what's actually motivating my work. I don't want to do that. Um, and this is what's happening in the text. When Jesus tells the crowd in verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for it is on him that God the Father has set a seal. The crowd immediately asks him right after that, okay, well, what, what must we do to perform these works, these works of God? They're looking for a list of works to be done. And Jesus answers them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So instead of a list, Jesus gives them one single thing to do, which is to believe. We explored believe um, and belief and what it means earlier in the year when we looked at the encounter of Jesus with Nicodemus uh, and John 3.16, which is encompassed in that story. Um, John 3.16, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. So the Greek word for believe is pestuo, and it's translated into English and other places in the Bible as faith and entrust. And so believing isn't merely intellectual, it's an act of dependence. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. The message version of the Bible translates this verse, Jesus' answer to the crowd, as throw your lot in with the one that God has sent. That kind of commitment gets you in on God's works. To believe is not so much what we do as it is being open to what God is doing. And that is the kind of work that is worth doing. It's different than we think, but this is the work that we're asked to do. So in this first exchange with the crowd, Jesus is addressing the work that we do, but he's also introducing this idea of the kind of food we eat. The whole encounter, if you remember, starts because Jesus has miraculously fed this large crowd in the previous chapter, and when the people come looking for Jesus and he calls them out on their motivations, which was another free meal, he turns the conversation from physical food to spiritual food, which is what we take in to fill up the hungry parts of our souls, our center selves, our true selves. He tells them, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So here Jesus is naming two different types of food. There's the food that perishes, and then there's the food that endures. So I want to ask you to be very honest and um, deep and bear your soul this morning um, to one another. Um, I would like for you to turn to your neighbor and tell them in your most vulnerable state with no judgment as we listen to one another because this is a safe space. Um, what is your favorite go-to junk food? No, 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 no. Like the grossest non-nutrition value, like trash food that you love, because I know everybody has one of those. Are you brave enough to tell your neighbor what that is? Go ahead, do it. All right, so your favorite, your favorite junk foods. The best part of getting to listen to you guys tell each other this is I feel like this conversation took a really long time because you were all trying to justify why you like it so much, which was super fun to watch. Um, I heard some good ones. 
what, what are some of your favorite junk foods? Or your neighbor's favorite junk food. You can just put them out there on blast like that. It's totally fine. What are some that you really like? Cheez-Its. Cheez Ice cream with brownies? Oh. <laughs> yes. Any more? Any more? Taco Bell. Yes. Zero nutritional value, but so good. Yes. Yes. Oh, no judgment here. You guys make me feel so much better. These are so awesome and so gross. Oh my gosh. Uh, my very favorite disgusting snack um, are combos. Combos. Specifically, the pizzeria pretzel variety. Thank you. If you have never had the pleasure of eating these, let me just tell you what it's like. A combo is basically like a little <laughs> pretzel tube. And in the tube part is pumped what I can only describe as a paste that is meant to somehow resemble, I think, what pizza tastes like. Um, man, when I say it like that, it's just gross. That's just so gross. Um, but I love them so much. And I love junk food so much. Um, and junk food's the best when you're like really hungry and you just like tear into a bag of Doritos or buy one of those big tubs of cheese puffs. You know what I'm talking about? Just for yourself. Nobody else has done that. Great. Um, yes, junk food is fantastic sometimes. Um, and the thing is, junk food actually technically does its job. It stops me from being hungry. And I guess I'd be fine with that um, if I didn't have to compare junk food to real food. You know, like the nutritious kind of food. Like whole grains that actually keep me full for more than 30 minutes. Or fruits and vegetables that don't just satiate my hunger, but also deliver vitamins that benefit the rest of my body. Eating that kind of food is more than just about filling my stomach. It's actually about contributing to my overall health. Compared to whole, real foods, junk food is literally garbage. Its only value is to put matter in an empty stomach. And beyond that, it's pretty worthless. And in a lot of cases, it actually deteriorates our overall health. Jesus is making this same, com same comparison between the things that we use to boost ourselves, like, um, like our work hustle or our accomplishments or our social standing or our full calendar, whatever it is, he's comparing those things and then real food, the kind that comes from God and is meant to sustain God's life in us. The crowd in our text still doesn't get that this is what Jesus is saying. Um, it's hard. So they ask for a sign from Jesus. We're going to keep going. Verse 31. They said to him, what sign are you going to give us then so that, we, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. So as the crowd would have been Jewish, um, and they bring up to Jesus what would have been an incredibly familiar story, a tenet of their faith story, really, um, about the manna the Israelites ate in the desert. So this story about the manna is in the book of Exodus, chapter 16. Um, just 
quick summary. It's been about two months since the Israelites left Egypt and they're in this desert wilderness and they become hungry and they start complaining to Moses that they wish they had actually died in captivity in Egypt as slaves instead of being brought into freedom into the desert where they were hungry. Um, man, we are like just the worst when we're hungry, right? Moses takes their complaints to God and in turn, God provides the people with this flaky substance that appears every morning with the dew and the people call it manna which um, they can use it to bake these bread wafers. And this bread made from this flaky manna substance sustained the Israelite people for 40 years while they were in the desert. And so this story of manna became a central piece of Jewish teaching. So it makes sense that with all this bread talk, the crowd in our text today would have brought that up, that story up but they make a mistake in the retelling of it that Jesus corrects. It, it was not Moses who gave the Israelites bread in the wilderness. Jesus says it was God. And now God wanted to give them a new kind of bread that would sustain God's life in them. Of course, the people, they think that what he's saying is that God is giving us a new kind of physical bread to forever satiate their physical hunger. So they are like, yes, please. Give us this bread always. They still don't get it. So Jesus finally lays out, okay, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So let's remember, this is the point of the Gospel of John. He wrote it to give readers the opportunity to step into the life God offers them through belief, through this dependence. It's a whole new idea, a new world for the people in the stories, for John's original audience, and for us. It's a whole different thing. So even looking at the part of John that we've covered so far, a pattern emerges in which John is trying to make clear this new world, this new kingdom that Jesus is inaugurating. So even thinking back to chapter 3 with Nicodemus, in that encounter, we see Jesus trying to explain to Nicodemus that to live in this new life requires a new kind of birth, a different kind of birth, one from above. And then even in the next chapter, in chapter four, we see a similar exchange with Jesus and the woman at the well. When Jesus tells her there's a different kind of water to drink, to quench a different kind of thirst, and that drinking this water means that that thirst is quenched forever. And then in today's text, we see Jesus talking about a new kind of bread that satisfies a different kind of hunger. Um, Dr. Harvard Stevens, who's a pastor in Wisconsin, summarizes it like this. John's gospel challenges our habits, our customs, our traditions, and our restrictions by articulating the vision of Jesus for a new world. Jesus' mission is to alter our reality and cause us to hunger and thirst for something new, something different, holy, and wonderful. Today's text and looking at it this week has really challenged me to recognize how normal it has become for me to feel hungry for something, um, meaning or praise from people, um, feel hungry for um, self-worth, some kind of measure of success, and then go find the quickest thing to satiate that hunger pang, even if I know it's junk and even if I know I'm just gonna get hungry again. 
and I'm forced to ask myself if the reason that I work for food that perishes instead of food that endures is because maybe I'm un unable or just unwilling to name what I am truly hungry for. If there's too much junk food in there for me to recognize food that's actually good for me. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So what is this food that doesn't perish, the food that endures? What is the good whole food, not the junk food, that satisfies our deepest hunger? Jesus very clearly says, it's me. Jesus said to them, I am the, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The crowd still has a hard time understanding what he means. I feel like this is a pattern. Um, so Jesus lays it out again, and he gets a little more graphic this time in verse 47. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. The ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now here's why I always thought it got a little weird. Like, whoa, Jesus, too far. You've gone too far. Um, I'm supposed to eat the bread of life that is actually your flesh. Whoa. Um, and the Jews obviously have the same reaction in verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? That's a legitimate question. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't back down. He keeps going, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. As a side note, um, because I want to justify myself, I really wanted to title this sermon um, The Twilight Series Breaking Bread. <laughs> but when I pitched it in our planning meeting, it was not super well received, so I did not have that. <laughs> so what do we do with this weird, super weird thing that Jesus is saying? Um, I think like everything in the Bible, it's, it's really important to look at the context, the whole context of what he's saying, who he's saying it to. So in the Old Testament, which is the Jewish law, one of the restrictions given to the Israelite people was that while they could consume animals for food, they were not to ingest its blood. They had to drain it. This, this is repeated. It's in Genesis, it's in Leviticus, and it's in Deuteronomy. So it's solidly in there. Blood was seen as the source of a creature's life. And to consume blood would be to consume life, which only God could do. So the ritual sacrifices and the altar, the, like the altar traditions that are spelled out involving the blood of animals makes more sense in this context the blood or the life of the animal was to be given to God only. The blood must be spilled on the altar and the flesh, which likely meant the fat and the liver, which was full of blood, was to be burnt on the altar as an offering to God. So, for in, in other words, flesh and blood, the life of the animal, is food for only God to consume. 
For humans to eat God's food is to strive to become like God. And the consequence of that was to be cut off from the community. So when you see this this rule, this law in Genesis and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you also see the consequence of anybody who does eat blood is cut off from the community. Additionally, the term flesh and blood was also a Hebrew idiom that referred to a whole person. So like their hearts, their minds, their feelings, their dreams, their fears, all of it, it refers to life. Flesh and blood refers to life. So this would have been very familiar to the crowd that Jesus was talking with of Jewish people. Does that make sense? Okay, so in in the New Testament, so we're moving from the Old to the New. In the New Testament, there are three different Greek words that are translated into English as life. There's bios, as in biology, and that refers to the life of the physical body. Then there's suke, which is where we get our word psychology, which refers to the mind, emotion, the will of a human. The last word that's translated as life is zoe. Zoe refers to the life that is uniquely possessed by God, basically God's life. It's uncreated and it doesn't end. These three words have very different meanings, but all of them are translated into English as life. And this is significant because we lose something in that translation. So the English word life, or its derivative, um, live, living, appear in the book of John 47 times. Of those 47 times in Greek, the Greek word bios is never used. Suke is used eight times. And the rest of what is translated as life in John is zoe, the life of God. This makes a huge difference in how we read these scriptures. John 1, in him was zoe, and the zoe was the light of men. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have zoe, have God's life. John 4, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal zoe. John 6, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal zoe, which the Son of Man will give you. Later in John 6, I am the bread of Zoe. I am the bread of God's life. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no Zoe in you. In telling us to eat his flesh and drink his blood, Jesus is telling us to eat the food of God in order that God's life might become our life. In John 5, Jesus explains, for as the Father has Zoe in himself, so he is granted the Son also to have Zoe in himself. We need to recognize this hunger that exists in us, not for bios, not for suke, but for Zoe. Verse 54, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, have Zoe, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink, Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Eat my flesh and blood, Jesus tells us. 
consume my life blood, the very thing that makes up my life, which is the life I share with God. And when you do that, you'll share in that life too. So as we come sort of to the end of this passage, I think it's important to recognize the way that Jesus repeatedly points to God as the source of Zoe, of this kind of life. Even as Jesus describes himself as the bread of life, he consistently points to God as even the source of himself. Verse 57, the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Just like God sent manna in the wilderness to sustain God's people, God now has given us an invitation to share in Zoe, in God's very life, through Jesus as our sustenance. And we miss this most of the time because we are too busy stuffing ourselves with junk food just so we don't feel hungry anymore. God's zoe, God's life, is not just available to us, but we are actually pursued by it. Like the psalmist says in Psalm 23, your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. We, we respond to God's pursuit by believing, by throwing our lot in with the one God has sent, who is Jesus. And what that leaves us with, then, is the privilege of receiving. We get to receive what God gives. God has given us Jesus, and in Jesus, an opportunity to live a new kind of life. The gift is Jesus, the life is Jesus, and the sustenance is also Jesus, the bread. I found myself um, this week as I was preparing for today, I found myself humming the song, um, Give Me Jesus, the hymn. Um, and I, at one point I was trying to find out some more information about the origins of that song. Um, there isn't a lot of information about the song. Um, it's one of many African-American spirituals written during slavery. There's no credited composer. Um, like many other spirituals and songs written during that time, Give Me Jesus was birthed out of pain, trial, and complete destitution. Um, it was written by people who truly understand what it meant to be hungry for Zoe and for Jesus, the bread of life, because there was nothing else. It's, it's a simple song. The singer asked to be given Jesus at all times, in the morning, at the darkest night, in solitude, in death. The, the words of the chorus are simply, um, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. We are not meant to live as hungry people. Even when we're fooling ourselves with stomachs full of junk food, we're still living hungry. Um, uh, there's a popular saying um, of St. Augustine. He wrote that our souls are restless until we find rest in thee. Um, yeah, our souls are hungry until we partake of Jesus, the bread of life. So as we walk through this week, my prayer for us is that um, our hungry souls might actually be saying, give me Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for um, the work that you do. I thank you that, um, that the hunger that we feel 
isn't just, we're not just hopeless that, that we will ever feel full. Um, I thank you that you are inviting us into your actual life. Um, I don't completely understand that. But I, I think that I've seen pieces of that. Um, I think I recognize where your life is sometimes. And I'm grateful that, um, that I even get to see those glimpses of it. I pray, God, that, um, that you would just be stirring us this week, um, even this morning, that we would be able to recognize the places where um, we're just being satisfied with way less than you have for us, that we are satisfied with the things that we create with our own hands, the work that we do ourselves, um, the food that just makes us feel hungry again. Will you show us that? Um, and will you fill those spaces, God? Help us not to be scared. Help us not to feel guilty. Um, but to be able to, to walk into the life that you have for us, which is your life. And we're grateful.